Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. We got some questions about sexting. Uh, I want to open with a strip club story. Go for it. Cool. Okay. So, you know that thing I experience sometimes, maybe other people do too, but you see someone who's been a customer or maybe you met them somewhere and you don't remember what the interaction was, but you know that you get a feeling about someone. Yeah. You're like, oh, I feel uncomfortable around this person or, or, or I think something bad happened or negative, but I don't remember what it was. Anyway, so this guy named, let's just call him Phil. He was in a striped shirt and he was wearing boat shoes and he was like a late 50s affluent white guy and yeah. super boozy. Okay, so I just got to the club and uh, I said, hi, how are you? You know, whatever. I began hustling him and he says, oh, I remember you. He says, I remember you. He says, you got Uh-oh. real mad at me. Yeah. You got real mad at me the last time I saw you. You were really mad. <laughs> so I asked him uh, about how long ago was that? He's like, oh, I don't know. So a little bit of pressing and I'm starting to feel like I'm starting to feel like bad. Like maybe I did something wrong. And then I realize he's totally a piece of shit and he's creating a story. So I said, Phil. Oh. Yeah, so I was like, Phil, what actually happened? Can you give me more information? He says, well, I don't know. I think I touched you or something. It wasn't a big deal. You got really mad, though. (laughs) So there's more to the story. And I I said, Phil, is it possible that I set a boundary and you crossed the boundary and I corrected you? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that's what actually happened? And he just started sputtering on his gin or whatever the fuck he's drinking. He's like, well, dur, dur. I said, uh-huh. He's like, and then he just started, <clears throat> and I had a feeling this is how I knew it worked. He's like, you were really mad. You were just, you were mad. You were so mad. And that's when I realized that he knew he was wrong. He knew he was wrong. So that was his, that was his whole stance was, I don't know. I might have touched you, but you were wrong for feeling that way. You crazy, irrational bitch. What's wrong with you? Wow. What the fuck? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what's really common. And I've noticed this in a lot of men, women interactions. Please forgive me, but I'm going to defer to what I witnessed in my parents' generation and what I still experience. So for the last like 30 or so years, I feel like a really simple way to invalidate um, a woman's victimization is to focus on her emotional reaction. Yeah. 
you know, like she was, yeah, she was hysterical. She was screaming. She was crying. You know, she was babbling, whatever. She was mad. What happened? You know, what happened? Anyway, so I was really pleased with how I was able to turn that conversation around to my, to my liking. (laughs) And I, I really, really, I want to use this episode to talk about how we talk. Um, can you, thank you. Can you think of things in your life and you don't have to answer just now because we might find them, but can you think of things in your life that you would like to get better asking for or things you would like Um, to change? Probably pleasure. I would say, Um, uh, I'm used to, I would say giving pleasure a lot. Um, and I like doing that. I love it. But I'm also not great at asking for it for some reason. And I don't know if that's like my upbringing or whatnot. Um, mm. Or if it's just uh, who I am. But that's something I want to work on. That's a great one. Um, it's it's hard to sometimes. Yeah. I remember yeah. what Roz said. She's like, we have a shame about receiving pleasure and asking for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. Well, I actually wanted to open with this article I found uh you're probably complaining the wrong way. This is on The Atlantic, uh, written by Joe Pinsker. So it opens with the words vent and complain are often used interchangeably, but really they refer to two different forms of expression, each with its own aims. Venting is about seeking validation and sympathy, whereas complaining comes with a concrete end goal. In many cases, getting someone to do something else differently. Psychologist Guy Winch says people do a lot of venting, but, quote, we are often afraid to voice complaints and for good reason. It often doesn't go well. So in that in that example with Phil, (laughs) do you think it would have gone better if he had said, you know, you're nice enough lady, but we had an interaction last time that I didn't like. So maybe we just shouldn't talk anymore. Do you think I would have liked that better? I would have. I think you would have liked it better, um, but I still feel like there's probably a better way to phrase that. I mean, from his perspective, not understanding that he did anything wrong or knowing that he did something wrong and not wanting to fess up to it, that would mm-hmm. be a better way of phrasing it, but it's there would still be improvements that could be made, like maybe acknowledging and yeah. <laughs> right. So far, there's a few different things going on. So I definitely want to talk about later how we can encourage people to ask for their pleasure in ways they feel comfortable. Let's do that. Um, yeah. I want to encourage uh, people that feel uncomfortable or pushed around by mostly men or, or just anybody manipulative to start being able to pinpoint where they're turning that thumb screw. Um, yeah. So we'll do that a little bit. Uh, and then I want to help people figure out how they can address their complaints better. So we'll do that here with this article here. So Guy Winch says he recommends, and you can use this with your partner, a formula called the complaint sandwich, a series of three statements calibrated to make people more receptive to changing their behavior. So the first statement in the sandwich could be, you know, you're really such a considerate partner in so many ways and I love living with you. And then the meat of the sandwich, they say, is the actual complaint. And it has to be, as they call it, lean uh don't present a compendium of every offense stick to the specifics of the present situation so you open the complaint with saying like you know i love living with you and then you'd say but you did x and the third one is the final component of the sandwich is another positive statement this time one that might motivate the other party to do things differently this inducement could be something like 
If you could make an effort to put your dirty dishes into the dishwasher, it would make me so happy. So it's a positive buffering and then a specific what was wrong or what they did and then a positive suggestion as to how you could do it better. Yeah. It's almost like a call to action. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, So we can move on from that. But they use this article uh, not just in relationships, but talking about how you deal with companies or customer service. So it says these principles are not just useful in the interpersonal realm, but they can be tactics to address corporate grievances. First, specificity is important when dealing with companies. And we're going to get to this later because there was a woman who wrote in about a horrible Lyft story that she had. And we wanted to compare it to the one that you opened with in episode one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So be specific when dealing with companies. Uh, Second, express sympathy for a customer service representative. It can help a lot. Quote, says uh, Guy Winch. They are usually a low salary employee and their job is horrific. They really get cursed at all the time, every day. <laughs> he says that if he calls a customer service line, he opens with something like, I'm going to apologize ahead of time for sounding annoyed. I'm annoyed with the situation, not with you personally. So please forgive me if I sound frustrated. Oh, I've totally like um, explained during customer service calls, usually with Amazon, that I'm like frustrated with the situation, but I totally understand that it's in no way their fault and that it's just company policy. And I'll mm-hmm. like reiterate that just to like make sure that they don't feel at all like I'm shitting on their day because I'm sure that their day is like frustrating enough as it is having to deal with all these like shitty customers. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm sorry for being another shitty customer, but like <laughs> I just mm-hmm. I need this thing and I know it's not your fault, but uh, if you can somehow like make this work and um, mm-hmm. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I've definitely been more aware of that. I feel like older generations have often like at least from what I've seen, they seem to hold even the lowest paid worker at a company like accountable for like company policy or actions. Like, you know, when you hear those stories of like old people yelling at like waiters and restaurants and things like mm-hmm. that, where it's just like, really, it's not their fucking the fault that the kitchen's busy and like, you know. Always right. Yeah. The customer's yeah. always such right. A, that's such a toxic dynamic to have that the customer's always right. Because really what they're saying is like, oh, I, as the person at the head of this company with all the power and influence, thinks that on in theory the customer should always be right. But um, you know, I'll let the the people who I pay minimum wage deal with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. I'm just like, yeah. I love those shops that have signs that say the customer's not always right. <laughs> oh my god! I have a mug that says the customer's always wrong. <sighs> <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> so. Talking about asking for pleasure. That's a good one. I'm glad you said that. Um, So what I recommend, and this is really similar to the sandwich trick, is instead of saying, I don't like it when you, um, I suggest people to say, like, okay, here's here's an example. I don't like it when you spread my butthole open. It makes me feel like I have to shit. (laughs) That would, that would, that's, that's not how we want to do things. I mean, that's, that's how I could, but I would say, I would prefer if you would squeeze my ass cheeks together. It feels really good when you fuck me like that, or I would like to try it like that. They don't need to know the reason why, but that would be something in my personal experience. I'm like, instead of pointing out what you don't like, because you might, you know, people are sensitive and they might feel like bad for hurting you or or icking yeah. you out or, you know, not speaking to your hottest fantasies at every second. But 
So if you're asking for something in bed, can you think of anything where you could be like, could you do this because it would make me so that? Is there anything that comes um, yeah, to mind? Yeah, so I have one example that I actually have used, um, which improved my sex by a lot. And that was figuring out positioning, but I didn't really know quite how to ask for that at the beginning of the relationship. Um, so what I figured out was also that having a pillow underneath me helped a lot. Um, mm. Just for like the arch of my back and getting fucked is just like essentially painless for some reason when I have a pillow under my back. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, no, so I, I kind of made that switch and I was like, it'd be really, it'd be really hot if you fucked me. And like, I just kind of slid this pillow under myself and then you have like, you can go in even deeper. And I was like, Mm. and it worked out great. And not only was he able to go deeper, but I was also like, not in pain anymore. So that was nice. Mm, Uh, Yay. Not in pain when you're having sex. That's kind of an ideal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like you would expect, but I mean, if I don't have sex for like two days, um, I definitely have to like be more aware of uh, re-entry, let's say, <laughs> mm. because um, oof, like my uh, my muscles will be like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. you know what that makes me think of? Um, God, this sounds so selfish, but it makes me think of this uh, this bit in this book that we're also going to reference later um, during the bad bitches. But uh, when asking for help, appeal to other people's self-interest, not to their mercy or gratitude. Um, This is like get people to more do what you want by appealing to their interests and how it can self-serve them, not necessarily their empathy or sympathy. So like you want your partner to be getting off or having a great time and your partner says, this is what will do that. That appeals to your interests, (laughs) You, you know? Um, or it's like, if I was going to say that you're trying to sell something and you want to say, this is how this product can improve your life or this service can improve your life. Not please buy this for me. I really need the money. Not that that doesn't work sometimes, but it's not a power move, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, what else could I, there's still some things. Ooh. Oh my God. Okay. So I, I was feeling kind of horny. <laughs> God, that sounds yeah. terrible. I was feeling kind of <laughs> activated. I was feeling kind of activated uh, about a week ago. And a friend of mine is so cute. And I just can't stop thinking about her. And I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to take a leap and see where the net is. So I sent her a message. Ooh. Well, okay. And this is where I was thinking about this. I said, she, like I've said this before, she's a pretty girl. She already knows that people think she's hot and want to get close to her. That's that's not necessarily like interesting or new. But she's also, she's another stripper. She works a lot. She's tired. Uh, I don't know if she's seeing anybody else right now. But regardless, we could all use some more tenderness. So I thought that it might. I asked her if she would ever like someone to play with her hair <laughs> or give her a yeah. back rub. Because... Honestly, like I don't need to have sex with this person to feel happy and close to them, but I would love to play with her hair and give her a background. This this also might be in her interest. She texts me yeah. back so fast. She's like, hell yeah. She's like, do you like feet too? You can rub my feet. <laughs> I was like, yes. yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Right? So in dating, and it kind of sounds like, I mean, the people who wrote this, uh, this one book that I got that uh, appealed to your interest tip from, The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. 
I don't like to throw the word sociopath around, but if there's someone who is very functional and gives no fucks about empathy, it's the guy who wrote that book. Um, but he's, <laughs> he's very right. He's very right. Uh, yeah. So in dating, it sometimes is not just enough to be like, I have interest in you, therefore have interest in me. Like, why do people want to have interest in you? Can you delight their senses? Can you teach them something, you know? Uh, appeal to their interests. They, people want to learn and be stimulated. Uh, I like that. How's your sex life? Good. How's your sex life, by the way? Oh, my sex life is getting better and better, like every day. <laughs> is it? Um, yeah. No, it's like it's amazing. Um, I'm learning all the things I like. He's learning all the things he likes, and it just becomes more and more like fluid. Um, once you kind of figure out what the other person likes. And mm-hmm. then you can find that baseline and then experiment and jump from it into other things that you want to try. Um, he recently did something really fun, which was uh, he had me on my stomach on the bed, but with like my ass at the edge of the bed and then mm-hmm. like lifted up one leg, uh, one of my legs, like while fucking me. And mm-hmm. it was like it was almost like in a porn scene. I was actually quite impressed with like because I know how much like. We both now know how much energy thr- like uh, thrusting takes and mm. um, to also be mm-hmm. holding up someone's leg <laughs> and be fucking them at the same time for like 15, 20 minutes is like definitely hot. Uh, hot. Yeah. That's a long time. <laughs> oh, my God. He's yeah. 24. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's uh, that's a skill. I can't. I don't think I could lift anybody. For, <laughs> I'm pretty strong, but still. Yeah. He really wanted to, too. It's it was really hot. Um, interestingly, also, my uh, my sex life is taking a little bit of a dip into um, uh, a topic that we've talked about before on the podcast, but I haven't actually explored in my sex life, um, at least not actively. <gasps> Uh, which is uh, a subdom relationship and actually learning what that means uh, and (gasps) not just what like the you know the the Hollywood stereotypes of BDSM but an actual like space where you're in like subspace and dom space and all of that so that's oh my god interesting um that's amazing wanting to try that yeah so me taking on a bit more of a sub role and then him being the dom and I've I've found it really hot so far it's really fun too because we both like have a ton of mutual respect for each other and that you require that in order to have like a healthy relationship mm-hmm. on any level but especially if you're if you're going to let someone else uh take a little bit more control and feel mm-hmm. safe with them so it's mm-hmm. really nice totally oh my god yeah that's amazing that has a ton to do with uh communication oh absolutely yeah no it's it's a hundred percent like we we have the safe word and everything but it, it doesn't even have to get like that kinky it's just also about the way that you treat each other during sex and that can mm-hmm. be very kinky in itself Um, You Mm -hmm. don't have to pull out the toys like you can literally just have you two there and kind of play around with ideas and ways of like treating Mm -hmm. each other. And you know that it's all built on mutual respect. So it's like it's especially I want an example. Ooh, so um, so he really he wanted to like tear my clothes off and then kind of uh, manhandle me and like have me like struggle a little bit while I was on the bed. But we both had like, you know, the safe word. So (gasps) I could say that at any time but uh but yeah no it was really it was really hot yeah he's also tied me up before which was fun yeah. i remember you saw the picture right i texted you the picture i think of me, i like, did tied up on the bed yeah yeah i that think i fun. did 
We didn't have any bondage ropes, so we went with belts. <laughs> okay, be careful with belts for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure they don't get stuck. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad that it's going so well. That's amazing. I really like what you said about you don't have to make it a big production or bust out the toys. Yeah, um, no, not at all. If you can change your mindset, you don't need you don't even need toys. Toys are just a bonus. Yeah. Can that that reminds me I was giving a dance to a customer that I would totally fuck but I don't want to let him know that because he recently <laughs> well he recently he might want to pay for it so I'm like shit I'm Ooh. not going to tell him I would do it for free if he would pay for oh, it fuck and no yeah. no absolutely not this dude has tons of money he can totally afford it I'm not taking advantage awesome. of anyone yeah so <laughs> anyway point of the story is um so I respect the, the rules of the venues where I work because I want to work there. I don't want to get in trouble with staff. I don't want to piss off my peers. So this creates a lot of tension when I, I want to break the rules even, you know, but I know like what's acceptable for me. So yeah. I have to find ways to, I guess I would say, heighten the pleasure between whatever's happening without breaking rules. And this person and I, um, so he's sitting in the lap dance chair and I pushed my my head, my hair. My hair is is long and dry and clean. And I pushed the softness of my hair like into his hand and started rubbing my head against his hand, kind of like a dog, I guess. Yeah, like nuzzling he, him basically. Yeah. Oh, my God. He groaned and his whole body like flexed Hot. and reacted. Yeah. He was like, oh, my God. You know, because it's like... <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to just like shove my pussy on his face, but it was actually way better that I didn't. Because <laughs> again, that shit hopefully is not for free. Um, also, yeah. I think because I don't really know this person, I would probably use a dental dam anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's take a break. <laughs> Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your weekend shift at 3am on Saturdays and 4am on Sundays. These special Sin Yin classes are meant to help you wind down and improve overall health. Need a little motivation? Your first Sin Yin class is free, and they offer 15% on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and to check out other industry-friendly class times. Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherlands Wax is gender neutral, sex positive, trans and queer welcoming, kink positive, and body positive. We are just over the 205 bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows, your favorite self-help podcast. And we are here today with Elle. And John. And Hi, me. friends. And me. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and visit us on strangebedfellowspdx.com. Uh, hit us up on social media, all that stuff. Yeah. Strange Bedfellows PDX on Instagram, Stripper Writer for L on Instagram, and Metric.cafe for me. 
Ooh, this is so fucked up. So someone made a fake Instagram. It was stripper underscore writer. They I sent saw out, that. You got it deleted, right? Yeah, well, I, my followers got it deleted because I was like, hey, yeah. please report this. And it actually got yeah. taken down within a day. That's but good. They, well, I received a couple messages from people who were like, responding to me as if I had messaged them and one of them was oh I followed you for so long it's so nice to hear from you and I I looked at the inbox and I was like oh my god so this fake account was contacting my followers pretending to be me which was weird yeah yeah I wonder who's behind that I know I I have a couple people in mind but I'm not sure which one of them it is me too I kind (laughs) of so I'm like because this isn't the first time this has happened but it's the first time it's happened in this way so I'm like it's either some stranger on the other side of the world could be a man for all I know you know it could be anybody living out their fantasy I wouldn't be surprised if it was someone who we already know but yeah I think it's yeah I think it's probably someone another um like a, a stripper sex worker person trying to cause trouble which is so annoying yeah sigh but anyway yeah if you find us on social media make sure it's really us <laughs> make <laughs> yeah. sure it traces back uh somehow uh let's let's learn about this this month's bad bitch in history all right so she is french john you might have to help me out here I am going to read. I found I found writing about this woman in the book I mentioned before, The 48 Laws of Power. They uh, refer to a lot of uh, historical characters. And so I looked her up a little bit more. And so straight from mostly Wikipedia and The 48 Laws of Power, might I present to you Ninon de L'Enclos. Is that how you say it? Ninon de L'Enclos. <laughs> Ninon de L'Enclos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She was born Anne de Lanclou in Paris in 1620. She was nicknamed Ninon by her father, who was a lutenist and composer, and he taught her to sing and play. And he was exiled when she was 12. He was exiled after a duel, whatever the circumstances of that was. <laughs> God. Man, Middle Ages and the Renaissance were gnarly. Uh, yeah, her, mother, her mother died... Uh, when she was about 23, she had previously been a courtesan, which is a upper class escort to wealthy men and nobility. Uh, when her mother died, she went into a convent for a year, probably to give herself some time to think. When she returned out of the convent, she was determined to remain dependent and to never marry. When Ninon finally reappeared in Paris in 1648, lovers and suitors flocked to her door in greater numbers than ever before, for she was the wittiest and most spirited courtesan of her time, and her presence had been greatly missed. Ninon's followers quickly discovered, however, that she had changed her old way of doing things, and she had set up a new system of options. The dukes and princes who wanted to pay for her services could continue to do so, but they were no longer in control. She would sleep with them when she wanted, according to her whim. All their money bought them was a possibility. If it was her pleasure to sleep with them for only once a month, so be it. Those who did not want to be what Ninon called a payer could join the large and growing group of men she called martyrs. These were men who visited her apartment principally for her friendship, her wit, her lute playing, 
and the company of the most vibrant minds of the period, uh, including all these names I can't say. Uh, apparently, when she died as an old lady, she left some money to the nine-year-old son of her notary, who later uh, became Voltaire. Interesting. So she, she was pretty artistically connected. So between the martyrs, the payers, uh, she entertained a possibility. She would regularly select from them a <laughs> F-A-V-O-R-I. This was a man who would become her lover without having to pay and to whom she would abandon herself completely for as long as she so desired. So this is her dude that gets to hang out for free. A payer could not become a favois, but a martyr had no guarantee of becoming one and indeed could remain disappointed for an entire lifetime. So do you understand what she did? She set up a system where she's like, you're allowed to hang out, but we're not going to fuck. You can fuck me only <laughs> if you pay me. You can fuck me if I feel like it because I fell in love with you, but I can end this at any time. And then yeah. there's the dudes who are hoping to have any position. And so she can jostle them around. And it's not like they weren't unhappy. Yeah. Isn't this amazing? So as word of this system uh, reached polite French society, Ninon became the object of intense hostility, obviously, <laughs> because she reversed the position of the courtesan, which is entertaining the men at their whim and being paid for it, but still. Uh, yeah, there's still the power dynamic. Exactly. Much to the queen mother and her court's horror, not only did the scandal not discourage her male suitors, but it only increased their number and intensified their desire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It became yeah. an honor to be a payer, helping Ninon to maintain her lifestyle and her glittering salon, accompanying uh, her sometimes to the theater and sleeping with her when she chose. Even more distinguished were the martyrs, enjoying her company without paying for it and maintaining the hope, however remote, of someday becoming her favois. This possibility spurred on many a young nobleman as word spread that none among the courtesans could surpass Ninon in the art of love. And so hmm. the married and the single, the old and the young, entered her web and chose one of the two options presented to them, both of which amply satisfied her. Interesting. Ninon had a horror of any kind of dependence. She early had tasted a kind of equality with her lovers, and she would not settle into a system that left her such distasteful options. Strangely enough, the systems she devised seemed to satisfy her suitors as much as it did her. The payers may have had to pay, but the fact that Ninon would only sleep with them when she wanted to gave them a thrill unavailable with every other courtesan. She was yielding out of her own desire. So kind of like That's a sugar awesome. baby thing, kind of, yeah. yeah. Uh but it sounds like she has more power than your traditional sugar baby. Right. Um, so she definitely had privilege here, which we have to acknowledge. I mean, she was a trained musician. Um, she had loving parents. She was pretty, I'm sure. But she did some good work. She uh, she wrote <laughs> she wrote The Flirt Avenged in 1659. It's about the possibility of living a good life in the absence of religion. She was an atheist. Yeah. Yeah, she got imprisoned apparently in the Madelonette's Madelonette convent um, mm -hmm. at the behest of Anne of Austria, mm -hmm. <laughs> Queen of France and a regent for her son. Mm -hmm. uh, and then crazy. she was let out. They let her out because yeah. she was charming. Uh, <laughs> it says this here on, on Wikipedia. It says she, so she died a wealthy woman at 84. 
And to the end, she was convinced that she had no soul and never abandoned that conviction, not even in advanced old age, not even at the hour of her death. And one of her quips uh, were, much more genius is needed to make love than to command armies. Isn't that great? I love that. I love that. That was our bad bitch in history. Can I be the puppet master? (laughs) (laughs) How to emulate a French courtesan. So... So we received a question, and it says... I would love it if you could tackle sexting in your podcast, even just a few tips. I recently found myself in a long-distance relationship and do sext to keep it going, but would love some new input, especially from a guy's perspective. Interesting. I missed that one the first time that said, especially from a guy's perspective. <laughs> well, yeah. then I'll just shut up then. Uh, no. So I actually, <laughs> no, I, I asked. We both uh, have a lot to contribute. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, don't worry. I won't leave you. So I asked on Instagram if anyone had any tips or if they sexed. Uh, what did you hear back? Let's see. One gal says, I fucking love sexting. I just describe my senses with slutty words and send pictures. This other person says, daily, here's a tip. Sext plus a meaningful topic equals long distance relationship bonding, i.e. nudes with mutual fave lyrics. Someone replied, uh, I think I'm too awkward to sext and I promise you, you aren't. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's just about finding what makes you comfortable and then maybe lowering a bit the bar of what you consider sexting and working your way up from there I yeah think everyone has to start out like somewhere and um, think think simple naturally right away but I mean to some people mm-hmm. it does I imagine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um, I have another one here too not sure how well I sext I rarely ever do it Here's another from a woman. Not often. I'd like to, though, but I'm not sure if it's because I'm not good enough. <laughs> I hope to get some tips. I need them. <laughs> um, <sighs> ooh, this person replied, long distance relationship for two years with a Marine equals sexed God. We try twice a week. The important thing mm-hmm. is to be 100%. Though. I imagine you mean 100% present or giving 100% of effort when it does occur. Mm, um, mm, that's a nice that's one. Yeah. Someone says, I'm so good at it, it's not even fair. Think outside the box and avoid what makes you cringe. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, think outside the box. It's like me putting my head in that dude's hand. Yeah. Like that's not that's not simple like tits in your face. You know, you think tits in your face, boner time, but think, <laughs> think outside the box. <laughs> Uh, someone replied, uh, near daily with consent, super descriptive narration of sensual imagings slash memories. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Revisiting um, the past can always be fun, especially when the past made you come. Ooh. Um, um, I would say ask permission before you send photos, especially in the beginning. I was seeing someone and yeah. they sent me, they sent me a really well shot photo of them in like this fishnet thing all naked and I also think that this guy recycled that photo and sent it to a lot of women, which is fine because it's a good photo. But also what makes me think that is the way he just sent it to me. And I was like, whoa, I wasn't ready. This is immediately more intimate yeah. than, you know, we hadn't even like touched very much yet. I don't know. For me, that was yeah. quite a jump off. I was like, I yeah. like saying, can I send you a picture? It's 
always good to ask and then to give a little bit of detail of what the picture is about. Um, yeah, can I send I you say. a picture? Unless of you're like me in a relationship something. with someone where they they know what to expect. Um, if you're just sexting a, someone who you yeah. aren't familiar with, you always want to make sure that they know what they're getting. Um, otherwise, you get into to problems because it's not the right thing to do. And that can go awry too, because even with B and I, I know what I can send him. I can send him anything. Yeah. I can send him blue waffles from all over the internet. <laughs> you know, I could send him pictures of roadkill. However, there's still been times that I have sent him nudes or whatever, and he's at work and he's like, babe, I'm at work. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't know. Get a different notification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to send um, my boyfriend, even before we were dating, I would send him like, and I, I, for a while I sent you Tumblr porn as well that I found really mm -hmm. hot. And mm -hmm. then I had to realize that like, I can't just like stream of consciousness send people like Tumblr porn. I mean, people who I knew would be fine mm -hmm. with it, but maybe they were doing stuff during the day because at the time I wasn't very busy. And um, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, they're, they'll enjoy this and like, he'll enjoy this. And I would send it to mm -hmm. him and he'd be like, I'm in class right now. And I'm like, oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> like, and then he would have to type like, you know how they type like five or six messages so that the picture isn't in their thing because he didn't know how to yes. delete the picture at first. He was oh just like, God. fuck. Yeah, it's I've like, da -da -da -da, da -da 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 -da. send the most recent photo <laughs> yeah. in my phone. That's OK. It doesn't matter what yeah. it is. God, I used to uh, think that I could open Tumblr in public and like I learned some I learned some lessons like I cannot I just can't it's just a not I was like oh well I follow some like activist accounts no just porn it's even just the now porn it's that pops just porn up. but no videos sadly mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. hashtag free Tumblr um <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what else. Uh, someone says be descriptive, use alliteration. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> What does I'm forgetting uh, what alliteration means. Alliteration is generally when someone uses words that are really like similar sounding. So like Peter the Pepper occurrence of the pickled a, yeah Peter Pepper Peter pickled yeah pickled penis a, yeah picker, <laughs> that poppers. I'm not sure if I would use alliteration in sex thing, but <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, Someone sent, uh, sometimes I'll surprise my boyfriend with nudes during the day, but send a warning first. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Poetry um, and description. Paint a picture with words. Tell them what you want to give and how is one. Hmm. Uh, Ooh, I like this reply. <laughs> I really enjoy sexting. The mind is the biggest sex organ we have. <sighs> mm. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this person says that they are terrible at sexting. They giggle the whole time and usually just send kiss, banana, or peach emojis. <laughs> Come yeah, get that's this interesting. peach. So like, I actually, I have a couple different views on sexting and the etiquette, quote unquote, even though there is no etiquette other than getting consent and the rest of it's just based on subjective, like, you know, mm -hmm. what people like. Um, mm -hmm. But I do, I do find it interesting because my boyfriend and I have talked about it before where it's like, oh yeah, like what do you, like we talked about like how we used to sex or, and whatnot. And he's always been very much into like full body pics and never likes like just dick pics. Um, mm. Whereas I'm actually fine with either. Um, hmm. If I know the person's face, then I'm fine with like just a dick pic. If it's just a dick pic and I don't 
ever see their face or I don't know what they're like or I don't really have a good idea of who they are, then that's unappealing to me because I can't match the dick to the face. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting because like I used to sext all the time, like Instagram, like all every platform I can think of. I, mm-hmm. I used to, you remember when I used to ask for birthday nudes? Like mm-hmm. I'd make a post and be like, send me nudes. Well, that was <laughs> also that before too, FOSTA. I I, yeah, yeah, I dude, I posted on Facebook once. I said, every guy like who's ever felt sad about something. his penis. No, I was like, yeah. dudes, I was like, send me pictures of your dicks because I think that dicks get insulted a lot. And it's not like no matter what your dick lo- looks like. I yeah. said, send me a picture of your dick and I will tell you a compliment about your dick, whether it's something about the color or the whatever. And I got a huge response I from that. Pe- I loved it. Guys were like, no one's ever told me my dick's pretty or it's really small, yeah, but no, I still dude, like it. And- like They've can't do that anymore compliments about their dicks mm. and there's no, also can't this, do like that. i really i really want to fight back up against this like cultural narrative that like genitalia is ugly like people say that all the time and i feel like it's a really easy way to dismiss having an actual conversation or being comfortable around like the fact that genitalia can be beautiful and like almost always is Dude, people um, think hairless the- cats and bulldogs are beautiful of course genitals are beautiful labias look like the same yeah. thing yeah <laughs> um but yeah no i i really want to fight back because people are always like oh well like dicks are ugly and vaginas are beautiful or the other way around and i'm like mm-hmm. neither of those are are like why do we why does it have to be either one or the other or neither in some cases but like mm-hmm. um why can't it be both and i i really of course people have preferences we can't just pretend that they don't um but i think that that goes beyond that they're not really talking about preference they kind of are just putting down an entire like um like gender and sometimes often both genders um when it comes to genitalia people just aren't comfortable like exploring and kind of figuring out like looking at the body like you know how they're like oh look in a hand mirror for women and like guys Mm -hmm. i mean they just have to look down really but um (laughs) most of the time uh and Um. and i find that interesting because it's like i feel like we really could be exploring our bodies a bit more like i i used to not always like my body and there's still things about it that i'd like to change but i do actually like my body more now um Mm. i didn't used to and that makes me happy when I hear people talk about themselves and say like oh no like my my dick's not good looking or like things like that like I'm I'm lucky that my my boyfriend is not uh not like that he likes his dick um but he he's definitely made comments sometimes that where I'm like oh well I wonder what I wonder what inspired that like where he's like no I don't mm-hmm. think that like I don't like dick pics alone and I'm like okay so why not and he's like well I don't I don't think that like dicks are necessarily that good looking and i was like interesting let's let's talk about that why do you think that? <laughs> and um and i'm just it's interesting because i feel like there's a lot of societal pressure to kind of agree and be like yeah ha, like dicks are ugly vaginas are beautiful or the other way around where it's like vaginas are ugly dicks are like awesome like wh- whatever yeah. stance you're coming from people always seem to have it a little bit warped and i i wish that yeah. people could kind of just enjoy themselves more and enjoy other That's people's a- bodies and at least respect them if they're not going to they don't have to enjoy them but um yeah it's like a flawed a little bit more stance. self-love yeah yeah it's a flawed stance to have let's read a few more of these responses uh and then we'll go to the next question sure. um this person says that they sexed like butt stuff tonight uh, <laughs> so very 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 smooth uh, this girl says I sexed very well and only for money guys love the words naughty panties and wet too much 
naughty panties? <laughs> I assume she means naughty. Oh, maybe they mean panties. naughty and panties. Yeah, naughty yeah. panties. Those naughty panties. panties. Are naughty. My, they're feeling <laughs> naughty. Uh, this guy um, says a couple times a week with the wife and she's at work. Move slow and be very descriptive. This girl no. says hella sexting over Snap. Guys from Cam can make a couple hundred per day. Good for her. Ooh, this person says, I think I'm okay, but my partner is uncomfortable about it. So never. And then the slanted emo- emoji face where they're just mm. like, mm. And yeah. some people just don't like certain things and that's worth respecting. Yeah. Uh, but we're talking about people who do like it. So onwards. <laughs> uh, this person <laughs> says... I feel contrived when I take sexy intended photos and it feels awkward. I can understand that. That I would say yeah. try something different where take a picture of like your hair falling in your face or I don't know, the light catching like on your your hip bone or something. You know, yeah. I'll do And you don't I'll always do... have to be like in a sitting position. You can lay down, you can you can even get on the floor. Like some of my best nudes have literally been laying down naked on the floor and just like taking a selfie like it's you can you can switch it up you can do anything you want with it and camera is your playground mm-hmm. oh somebody wrote me they said sex chat with me and their name is big dick boy on instagram no thank you of course yeah there's a bunch of dots and symbols and stuff in there don't yeah <laughs> don't worry don't go looking for that account it's not big dick boy is what it's called but that's not how it's spelled Oh, great. Okay, so what I'm hearing is move slowly a lot of time from a lot of people. Yeah, move slow, figure out what you like, figure out what they like, establish consent, and then play. Uh, If it was always so simple, everyone would have figured it out by now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So this is some feedback. Uh, I'll just go ahead and read it. So letter two. Uh, I've been following you guys on social media for a while. I worked in the sex industry for almost eight years and appreciate you giving the world a chance to see and hear that we are not a bunch of overhyped, crap-filled media stereotypes. So thank you for that. Uh, I wanted to share with you my Lyft experience because it was the exact opposite of what John experienced and I feel like I was dismissed simply because I'm female. I live in the Chicagoland area, and in September, I went to a theater to see a show with my friend. I knew I was going to be drinking and used a lift because fuck Uber, she says. On my way home, I accidentally ordered pool ride share instead of a single one. No big deal, except that I had to sit in the front, and I was the last one to be dropped off. I live 10 miles from downtown. Instead of taking the direct route, my driver took me through outer neighborhoods, adding 30 minutes to the trip, and the entire time, okay, it jumps off here, was telling me how he wanted to tie me up and rape me. I was leaning as close to the door as possible, rolled the window down while holding the button in case he tried to trap me in and so I could jump out if needed and mentally made a note of all the possible weapons in case I had to fight him. For example, my high heel. I didn't talk to or engage him in any way. And while it doesn't matter, I had been drinking, but not excessively. Can you imagine that? Can everyone just for a second, if they've never had to imagine that? This is just going out for a lot of women. Like, oh, God, I don't know if I have the energy. I don't know if I want to have to worry about I might get raped and murdered tonight. Fuck. <laughs> uh, so yeah. she says, she says, well, hearing someone tell you that they want to tie you up and torture you is very sobering. When he finally did pull up to my house, I jumped out of the car before it stopped, ran inside and locked the door. In hindsight, I perhaps should have called the police, but I didn't. The next morning, I called and emailed Lyft to file a complaint and was met with crickets. 
I was told a follow-up would happen in the next few weeks. Since they didn't see this as an issue, I went on social media to my personal page and to theirs. They did nothing. I called them every day for four days. On the fifth day, they sent me a generic message saying that my, quote, happiness, not safety, was important to them and that they had, quote, unpaired me with that driver. I tried to respond asking about the thousands of other women who use their service, stating that I am definitely not the only woman he has done this to, and again, crickets. I once again Damn. blasted my, yep, I once again blasted my and their social media with a warning for other women in the Chicagoland area to not use that person as a driver. I don't know if I will ever use them again. My safety and I were dismissed entirely. The point of the story is that I applaud John for standing up for the woman in this situation, but I think the only reason Lyft gave a shit at all was because he mentioned that he thought the driver was under the influence of alcohol. That's definitely possible, yeah. I could see that. So, I guess, pro tip, <laughs> being specific isn't always going to help you in this way, but now we know that maybe just claiming your driver was drunk is more important. Yeah. yeah. God. That's I mean, from a business standpoint, they're like, well, ironically. I, yeah, <laughs> the, the business is like, well, a drunk driver could probably hurt a lot more people than someone who just ties up and rapes one woman. I mean, come on. It's one woman. God. <laughs> I'm being I'm Fuck. I'm being hyperbolic. Uh, but that's yeah. where my mind goes, you know. Damn. <sighs> well, I'm really sorry that this person had that experience. Um, that's yeah. awful. And but no thank you for sharing it. Deal with that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing it. Um, yeah. It's also really important that guys begin to understand that because I never thought about it in the past until mm. I kind of began to actually think about it. Um, mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> we're putting um, we're we're putting like this app, the ability to drive people around into the hands of uh, people who might <laughs> actually have harmful intentions. And maybe this we should have a better vetting process or a better process for not allowing them to use the platform if they've even committed one violation like that ever. And some This sort is of why we don't need to go to the moon or Mars or any of that shit. We can't even handle what's going on on this planet. Why are we trying to expand? <laughs> yeah. We have too many problems on Earth. Um, <clears throat> oh, man. All right. So... Can you read the the last feedback question? I kind of love this. So we got some feedback and it says, just listen to episode five on non-monogamy. My spouse and I have done some swinging in our time and we have to say the reclamation sex afterwards, for us, may be the hottest part of the whole experience, even hotter than being with other partners. We just lean into that part. Thank you for your show and keep it up. I love that um, someone pointed this out because I didn't I didn't do a good job of explaining all my feelings on the topic. Reclamative role play sex is fucking amazing and super sexy, but it has to be something you're both willing and excited about is the difference. My experience stems from boyfriends who literally felt like my pussy had been tainted by someone else and it, it was their job to put their dick in me as fast and as hard as possible to make themselves feel better about it <laughs> to be okay with any kind of open relationship that is my past so I'm a little jaded but yes definitely that's like such a good part of having a healthy open relationship is maybe coming yeah. home and being like you know, like, yeah, I strayed from the nest, but you're going to teach me right. You know, like, who's daddy? <laughs> I'll always come home to daddy. Yeah, that's fine. But both of you have yeah. to be into it. So yeah. 
Thank you for clarifying, listener. I'm really glad that you didn't hear us in the wrong way and you kind of understood, I think, if not understood. But thank you for bringing that to our attention so we could address it. And let's take another break. Are you looking to advertise your product or service to a growing worldwide audience? StrangeBedfellowsPDX.com wants to hear from you. Contact us, StrangeBedfellowsPDX at gmail.com to learn about affordable website and social media advertising. Whether your business is big, small, or weird, we offer sliding scale and affordable advertising. Email StrangeBedfellowsPDX at gmail.com to partner with us today. So there was a June 29th protest in Portland. I was at it for about, I think, 90 minutes. Uh, again, it was it was a hymn to Patriot Prayer, Proud Boy, um, Haley Adams, like conservative, alt-right slash Republican, whatever, brouhaha. There was about 30 of those conservative people gathering. And again, a few hundred Portlanders turned out including the anti-fascists who, yes, I will say that as someone who understands why we're protesting white nationalists, I'm still disappointed to see some people using protests as an opportunity to get all their macho, aggro, male energy out by blocking traffic. Look, if you're downtown and you're protesting white nationalists, and I was and we were, that's great. But get out of the way of the max lines so that people trying to go to work and spend time with their families aren't having their entire fucking days fucked up. Do you know what it's like sitting on public transportation with a newborn baby and chapped nipples and their diapers filled with shit, but there's people that are holding up the train for an hour? That's ridiculous. We need to get better at protesting. We need to stop blocking traffic. It's yeah. So anyway, but what happened, what happened at this one that made the news is there was a small group. There was a couple individuals. um, I saw them there. I said, thank you so much for doing this. Pop mob. They come out to these protests. They had they were giving people water and vegan milkshakes because you need your protein when you're protesting. Uh, (laughs) They someone at one point when (sighs) traffic had been stopped, there was a barricade of police There is a rental truck that had a bunch of queens and queer people twerking and dancing to try to lighten the mood. So these two blockades are happening. There's people everywhere. There's the white nationalists are gone. At one point, the person next to me is like, where'd the Proud Boys go? And over the megaphone, I I like, hey, Portland police, where are the Proud Boys? I thought you were protecting us from the Proud Boys. Where did they go? So as all this was happening... I see a single cup fly up in the air. And I said, oh, God. Oh, no, don't do that. Don't do-. I said, don't do that to myself as I watched it fly. I'm like, here's where they start shooting at us because someone threw a fucking milkshake, right? So I see a, a, a cup fly. <laughs> I see a cup fly up and, and people are in SWAT, you know, and, and no, they didn't start shooting any grenades or um, rubber bullets. Uh, the blockade, they, they met an agreement. So the rental truck of the Queens uh, backed out and... Protesters moved, police moved, Max went through. It was okay. There were some fights and some scuffles. There's a conservative journalist, uh, Andy Nyo. Yeah, he got beat up because he was antagonizing. He goes to these rallies to upset um, liberals by calling them names. And then when they throw milkshake on him or punch him in the face or whatever, he's like, I was brutalized. It's like, well, it was opportunistic. Anyway, so the cops that day, the cops 
shared on their social media that someone had thrown milkshakes that had concrete, quick drying cement or concrete in them. God. I love that's like, that's so 2019 is like, ah, yes, the the leftists are throwing fake vegan milkshakes that are actually quick dry cement at the police. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, <sighs> so Hot Mob, <laughs> this, the, uh, the cops tweeted about it. It says, uh, June 29th at 4.08 PM, Portland police, police have received information that some of the milkshakes thrown today during the demonstration contained quick drying cement. We are encouraging anyone hit with a substance today to report it to police. So they said this without any proof. The police later walked back the statement saying that they were incorrect in assuming that there was concrete in them. Nobody knows where that claim came from in the first place. Uh, and Effie Baum from Pop Mob said that the cement milkshake tweet was like a death knell. We immediately started getting internet hate. So Fox News, uh, all kinds of conservative outlets... CNN, I believe, reposted that uh, Antifa had attacked the cops with quick drying cement. Ah, yes. So the, uh, the vegan milkshake conspiracy. Oh, you've uh, you finally mm-hmm. found it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found it. So, in spite of everything, Effie Bomb says the event was an overall success. We showed up with a positive event. We handed out delicious vegan milkshakes. We had a really good time. So don't believe everything you see in the news because uh, I was yeah, there. Especially was not like if it's walked back. Like I mean, this is just insane. It says that um, pop mob social media. So like when you said Internet hate, you were you were definitely um, right on the <laughs> dot. Like they, they got some crazy fucking and this isn't just hate. This is, these are like death threats. Like this is mm-hmm. uh, she said we were told we should be put in a gas chamber. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the more horrible ones this, was that cement should be shoved up our twats and hardened so we couldn't have children. Uh, mm. People have talked about shooting them. Members of their group have now been doxxed, which is when you expose someone's personal information to the internet. Uh, mm-hmm. One person's parents received threatening phone calls. Some are afraid to go home. Co-ops that donated supplies for the milkshakes have been threatened with firebombing. Oh my and god. Bomb says that attacks have come from all over the world. Yeah, that's what happens yep. when you uh publicize something that isn't true on a national network. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of a shit show here in Portland. Uh I definitely definitely think that a lot of us are getting tired of the same old shit and we have to start protesting smarter. Um but I don't know what that looks like yet. Um Keeping optics in in mind is very important. It was later admitted that its warning from the Portland police was based on a single officer's concluding that the unnatural thickness of a spilled milkshake meant that it must contain concrete. Then it claimed that the officer had smelled something funny in it. That's oat milk. It's fucking oat milk. Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know how people get about (laughs) vegan food, John. (laughs) Right? God. I feel like this really speaks to how people feel about vegan food. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So last last bit of news. Um, Let's do two more little bits of news real quick. Uh, Instagram to flag hateful comments before you send them. This is flawed technology and it's not going to work very well, but they have a new feature that if they think you're typing an insult, a little notification pops up that says, are you sure you want to post this? Uh, A friend of mine wrote to me and he said that he was calling a friend a dolt, D-O-L-T, which is an old term for idiot. Yeah. um, And he got the notification. (laughs) 
So the idea is to give people a chance to reflect before they post it or give them a chance to consider consequences. Uh, early tests of this feature have found that some users are less likely to post harmful comments once they've had a chance to reflect on their post. Gmail has a similar feature that gives users 30 seconds to cancel an email after pressing send. I have used this. <laughs> I've used that. Um, so yeah. it's, you know, it's well-intentioned. It says other social media platforms have made attempts to monitor the type of content allowed on their platforms. Twitter started to flag hateful or offensive tweets from politicians. Facebook has banned white, some white supremacists. supremacists. Uh, there is no hard and fast rule for what these platforms are expected to restrict. So it's tricky. It's tricky again. How is this going to impact me? How is this going to impact you? Uh, are they marking body types as as words that would come up? You know, like is clitoris going to be flagged? Like how is this more censorship? This might help a little bit of bullying, but I'm pretty sure the people who have been the most determined to call me out or try to attack me in a toxic, like unproductive way don't care. So yeah. Interestingly, Instagram's also introducing um, at the bottom of the article, I'd, I'd heard about this, but I didn't know the details, uh, a restrict feature, which allows users to filter content from specific accounts without blocking them. Um, so kind of like if someone comes on your page and calls you an asshat, then you can you can mm. restrict them so they can still comment, but they're the only person who's going to see that comment. That way they don't <gasps> know that they've been blocked that yes. way, um, which is actually a really good feature, I think, uh, because mm -hmm. uh, quote users said they were worried that blocking accounts that were posting offensive comments on their page would lead to retaliation, which it absolutely mm -hmm. does. It absolutely um, and does. It really just encourages people to make another account and then keep harassing you from that one. Um, so this is actually a really smart feature. I like this one. Okay, good, good. I've been through this. Yeah, I'm being a little cynical. I've been through that a few times, definitely. That one uh, <laughs> reminded me. Remember that one lady a couple of months ago that tried to call me out, and I was like, "Who are you? And what are you? What is this madness you're spewing?" So I just blocked them, and then they were like, yeah. "You blocked my account. You silenced my speech. Therefore, you are hateful." And I was God. like, "Damn, dude." Yeah. So that spun them out really bad. Um, strangers on the internet, man. One last thing. This is our communication episode. So, uh, and my mom is staying with me this week and my mom has some serious fat phobia issues that she's perhaps never going to be able to work through and she inherited them from her mom and it's a long, complicated story. Anyway, there's an article by The Atlantic. I'm going to show my mom after I record this. It says, mothers are teaching their daughters bad lessons about beauty. Women who denigrate their own looks unwittingly pass negative attitudes on to the next generation. Um, hmm. this is absolutely something I believe to be true. <laughs> Turns out kids are sponges. A 2016 study in the Journal of Clinical Child and Adolescent Psychology said body dissatisfaction and its correlates in five to seven year old girls, a social learning experiment, uh, confirms this girls emulate how their mothers talk about their own bodies. Uh, in the experiment, the mothers had to describe their body from top to bottom. One group had to say only negative things, and the other group said only positive things. Uh, some of the women couldn't find anything redeeming to say about themselves, and what mothers said made a strong impression on their daughters. The hmm. researcher says, There was not a single child who did not change their response after hearing their mother say something, either in the positive or negative direction. For mothers with their own appearance and body issues... 
The internal soundtrack of I'm fat or I need to lose weight is hard to defy. And this can be anything, you know, I don't like my nose, my feet are fucked up, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- um, I can definitely see that. And I, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have quite the same experience because my, my dad never really talked about his appearance um, other than occasionally. And I mean, really rarely occasionally mentioning he wanted to lose weight, um, but that never mm-hmm. really affected me um but i definitely see with my sister i think that she picks up a lot of what my mom puts down and i, I definitely mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be sending my mom this article too just to make sure because i think this is really important yeah um the way we talk about our bodies and appreciate them and um and if you're only hearing your parents say negative things about their body then yeah you're gonna start saying negative things too because you're gonna mm-hmm. relate to that so mm-hmm. or try to emulate I- it I'm I'm pretty certain that there's not a study on how boys are impacted about how men talk about their bodies because it's not as impactful and men don't typically, you know, like we don't treat men and women's bodies the yeah. same anyway. But I'm willing to bet that if you reflect love and kindness on yourself, your child is going to see that as an acceptable way to treat yeah. themselves, you know. Um, so yeah. I this is something I'm working really hard on is to, if I look in the mirror and I see something I don't like, is to not say shit about it, really. Yeah. Like Yeah, I've had actually a discussion with my uh my boyfriend about that where I kind of told him one day I was like, "Well, if I saw something in the mirror that I didn't like and I mentioned it every day and I I kind of talked shit about myself in a way or like put myself down, you probably wouldn't like that. You'd want me to appreciate myself." So, if mm-hmm. you can definitely always I told him like you can always share with me how you feel, of course. Um, but maybe we can do it in like a, a fashion where it's not kind of a, a an endless loop of, of repetition, but more keeping a goal in mind if that's what if that's what the person wants, um, mm-hmm. while also appreciating the body you currently have, because that's the body you'll have later when you've reached your goal. It just looks different and mm-hmm. um, everyone's on a sliding scale of where they want to be. So mm-hmm. um, it's it was difficult for me for a while not to at least for myself. I don't usually vocalize it very much. Um, but, to to look in the mirror and to not hate what I saw, uh, cause for mm-hmm. a long while that was the case. I hated my face. I hated my, my body. Um, my body mm-hmm. changed a bit. Um, but it, I don't think I started liking it more because it changed. I started liking it more because I began realizing that it was, it was me. So like I, mm-hmm. I could make changes if I wanted to, but I still, I couldn't hate the, the encasing that I live in. Mm-hmm. Um, not if I wanted to be happy <laughs> and um, nope. and that definitely changed my perspective uh, I've accepted some things I can't change about my face that I actually kind of like now um, Yay. I have these really big wide eyes and um, I used to not like that and I love your eyes one day my yeah I like my eyes now too and um, I've kind of appreciated that they're they're part of me and I know it's on silly and like a lot of people listening to this are like well, yeah but I have this like one thing about myself that I really hate and I'm like do you, do you really hate it or have you been repeating to yourself for a very long time that you really hate that? And mm-hmm. maybe can you reframe it in a different light and kind of look at yourself mm-hmm. in a bit more of a loving way? Um, mm-hmm. And I know that's not a thing you do from day to day. And there are th- some things that can be changed if you do want to change them. But I think that even for the people with like goals in mind about how to change, they they do have to keep in mind that 
Just because their body's going to look different once they reach their goal doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be happy with their body. Um, (laughs) There are plenty of people with conventionally attractive bodies who are incredibly insecure and uh, don't like their bodies. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to kind of reframe how we think about like, it's Mm -hmm. not, oh, once I lose 10 pounds, I'm going to look amazing. It's I look amazing and I want to lose like 10 pounds if they do. I think I don't think anyone should lose weight. Um, but if if someone wants to for their appearance or job or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here, we'll end this one here. So in terms of telling your children, specifically here, your daughter, that she's beautiful. Experts say that constantly telling your child that they're beautiful is counterproductive and it doesn't protect protect against the societal messaging that conveys that girls are valued first and foremost for being pretty. Yeah. Uh, Renee Englin, a psychology professor at Northwestern who studies body image and media says, if what you really mean when you call your daughter beautiful is that she's strong, smart, resilient, or funny, use those more specific adjectives instead. The writer of this article says, moreover, there's an element of faux empowerment in the everyone is beautiful movement. While the goal of wanting to broaden our beauty standards is noble, beauty is defined in part by its rarity, and it's not everyone's job to be beautiful. That's, yeah, absolutely. Beauty is really a novelty. Beauty is really, really, really always has been a novelty for humans, like really. And it's really, really, really interesting because I think there's always been a pressure, but especially now when the idea of beauty is so attainable, you know, even working class people can buy cheap makeup and girls get their nails done. I see a lot of people around me and I've done this myself where I'm struggling to make ends meet because I'm spending money trying to strive to meet standards of beauty, whether that means spending $100 on my nails every three weeks, you know, like that's an example. That's someone else's example. Um, But I just, yeah, I really want to call that into question, like how much money and time and effort we as people sometimes spend to look fucking amazing when it's not really doesn't make sense. You're not going to look amazing all the time. (laughs) It's just not. Yeah. And there's also, um, I was reading an article the other day about how um, people in my generation and I think in, in like, I think it was all millennials actually are more likely to go for uh, fillers now, uh, but less Mm -hmm. likely to go for plastic surgery. So Mm. it's interesting. Yeah. Well, fillers are more affordable in the short term. And I think that's what people are are, doing. If I had to guess. For some things you do want fillers in the long term. Uh, For others, it's you. It really depends on what you need. Um, Like a a nose job costs like five to ten thousand dollars. Exactly. Fillers are like six hundred bucks. Affordable to everyone. Uh, yeah. However, no. I'm just saying this as a caveat. If you do uh, want to get fillers on your nose, uh, you have to make sure that it is one of the best doctors out there because your nose has a artery in it um, and that can get clogged. Uh, and the best doctors know how to reverse their inject- injections immediately and how to spot um, uh, blockage and petitions uh, yeah. and people who don't have doctor's licenses do not. So do not get yeah. injections from someone who is not a licensed doctor. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> With yeah. Great communication. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind the scenes, photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash strange bedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L Stanger, on 
stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to pillow talk at strangebedfellowspdx.com and find me, John, on Instagram at metric.cafe. Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.